Hello, this is Dave from Race Reflections. Welcome to Race Reflections at Work, the podcast that focuses on inequality, injustice and oppression in the workplace. Today we're going to be talking about racial bias and blackness in teaching and higher education with special guest Mel Green, who is one of the newest additions to the Race Reflections team. To send us queries, questions and dilemmas about anything Race Reflections at Work related, send us an email to at work at racereflections.co.uk So, hello Mel. Hi Dave, thank you for having me today. I'm Mel Green. I'm an associate lecturer with the Open University. I'm also a doctoral researcher at the Open University. I've been associate lecturer there for five years and I teach on three modules within education studies, primary education studies and childhood studies. And how long have you been working in education? Since 2005 I think. A long long time. I was a primary school teacher for 15 years working in state schools, in pupil referral units, in a psychiatric unit even and then I moved into higher education about five years ago. And what made you choose to work in education? I actually really didn't like school. Well I liked primary school but I had uh, some very negative experiences in secondary school where I was bullied quite a lot. I went to a predominantly white school in Hertfordshire and it wasn't where I was from. I had to travel quite extensively to get there. So there was a lot of feelings of not belonging when I was in school, which I think a lot of people can relate to, right? But I think my feelings of not belonging were because I was one of very few black children in the school that I was in. So there was a lot of racialized tension amongst myself and my peers and even my teachers where there was quite low expectations of my intelligence and my abilities also it was quite a well-to-do school I suppose so lots of upper middle class students I was from a working class background so there was kind of those feelings of sort of classism as well so I just generally felt quite isolated in school but I loved learning and so I kind of took those experiences and thought about the teacher I would have wanted to have and decided that that was going to be me for the peoples that I was going to be teaching in the future. And did any of those experiences affect how you taught when you became a teacher? When I was a primary school teacher, I didn't always consider my race or my ethnicity, but it was really relevant, sort of looking back, like I can look back retrospectively and realise how relevant it was. I initially worked in people referral units as an unqualified teacher. People referral units, for those who don't know, are schools where children have been excluded or suspended from their mainstream school, but they still need to be in school at the time. The children I was often working with 
were black students, uh, black boys. And I found that I had an affinity with them and I kind of got them, I guess. So it wasn't really an effort to get them to behave as a lot of the other teachers were struggling with. I think by actually developing a positive relationship with them, there wasn't the sort of standard behavioural issues that they were exhibiting in school. And so looking back, I think that's probably a lot to do with my race. But at the time, I felt like it was just, you know, I I got on with these kids and, and we kind of got each other. But now I'm sort of thinking that I was providing a mirror for them. I was reflecting who they were, just me being there. So once I moved from people referral units into state schools, so mainstream schools, I was often told I was good at behaviour management for the same kind of reasons. It was always the black boys who were naughty or who were considered to be naughty by the rest of the staff who just behaved for me or engaged in learning and actually focused on my teaching. I don't think I was focusing on behaviour management, but people thought I was good at behaviour management because children naturally kind of behaved around me. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like uh, they don't ask the question, why do other teachers have problems with behavioural management? And is there a systemic reason why black boys are needing, in inverted commas, behavioural management? Like, what are the structural things that are causing that situation? Exactly, yeah. So would you say that being black affected your teacher identity in other ways than what we've just touched on? It's interesting. As I said, I didn't necessarily question any of this until I got into higher education. I didn't even question sort of what type of teacher I was. I always felt like I was a good teacher, but I never sat and, you know, reflected on my teacher identity until I got into higher education. And I think that was because after my first year of being in higher education, I was told that I would be teaching exclusively online. And it was then I began to focus on the type of teacher that I was told I was, the type of teacher I wanted to be, because I wasn't going to be able to rely on the things I normally had. So, you know, my personality, my physicality moving around the room, I'm very sort of handsy when it comes to (laughs) talking. I move my hands a lot and I smile a lot. I make funny faces and all of that is not something that is obviously easily translatable into online education. So that's where I began thinking about my teaching identity and specifically how I as a black woman could still be a visible black woman online I actually started thinking about how blackness was actually part of my teaching identity the jokes that I would make came from my culture my lived experiences I realized how much of that element of me was within my teaching identity because I suppose the loss of it made me question how to bring it back into my teaching. And so how did you translate your blackness while teaching online? What did that look like? Or what does that look like? I really made a conscious effort to help my students visualise me, who I was, rather than send out an introductory email at the start of the year, I would create introductory videos that they could see literally from the outset. Obviously, I could do that with an image, right? I could just send a photo of myself, but actually seeing 
my mouth move, seeing my mannerisms, seeing my facial expressions, that really encapsulates or, or embodies who I am. So I made a conscious effort to, yeah, from literally from day one, they would see me and they would see a physical moving representation of me. And in the Open University, you don't have to use webcams and tutorials. We use something called Adobe Connect, which is very much a sort of virtual classroom. And a lot of the time, teachers were worried about using webcams because of broadband issues and making tutorials accessible to all students. However, I really focused on using my webcam in tutorials because, again, I wanted to embody who I was while I was teaching. And I use my images and pictures of myself, pictures of my family in tutorials, in any content newsletters that I share with my students as well for the same reason but beyond that I became also quite conscious of the content I was delivering and how it was delivered being really aware of being culturally responsive aiming to identify and cite non-white theorists and academics which I'm quite limited in doing because content isn't written by me isn't produced by me I'm delivering content that's been written by other academics but I was still very conscious about how that's delivered. And on that, I also applied to be on some content production teams. So I'm recently just been put onto a module production team that is currently writing a module because I really felt that you need that diversity. Academia can be quite a white place. And so actually having a non-white academic within production teams is really, really important. I also based my doctoral research on translating my sort of blackness onto teaching online. But um, I think that's going to be for another podcast, maybe later down the line. But it has highlighted to me the difficulty in translating blackness and how I feel that it is relevant to the way I teach. So how has racial bias affected the way that you work? Again, this is something that I'm probably more conscious of now. When I was an early primary school teacher, I think I was policing myself, even though I was teaching in inner city London schools. I was often one of very few black teachers within those schools. And I know that I was often called very loud. I was often called intimidating when I felt that I was just being myself. When I did raise a point, a point of conflict or a point of tension or challenge something, I was seem to be more aggressive or more angry than say white colleagues who would do the same and I found that really really difficult because it meant that I didn't know how to raise issues without being a kind of attacked I guess I learned to police myself I didn't necessarily question whether it was to do with my race all the time but I did learn to sort of yeah calm sides of me down that I don't think I needed to actually calm down I was often also sort of passed over for promotions for managerial positions for white counterparts even though I was told I was very experienced I was very good at this I was very good at that but it would often be my white counterparts that got roles instead of me I also 
also just felt there was kind of that lack of mentorship that my white colleagues were able to have where they had that sort of representation of people that looked like them in roles that were senior and so they could see their way their journey to moving up within schools so yeah again I kind of felt that same sort of sense of isolation that kind of lack of belonging that I experienced when I was actually you know a pupil in school but I think I learned along the way internalized whiteness I guess in order to be successful so how to kind of play the game how to sort of politely exist in order to be seen as less aggressive or or, or less angry there was one example where myself and a colleague were disagreeing about something and the more I refused to acquiesce to what she was saying she became more and more angry with me that she was quite aggressive in that she started to insult me and then a senior member of staff came into the room and as soon as that senior member of staff came into the room the woman I was debating with started crying I was then left looking like the aggressor I was asked you know why did I make this person cry even though I'd just been insulted by this person and actually had remained calm throughout the entire sort of interaction so yeah I will always remember that because I think that's the first experience that I really remember of white tears long story short how racial bias has affected the way I work I think it's really meant that I police who I am and have learnt who I should be or how I should behave in order to be successful. Right. And it sounds like your recent development within your work has been about unlearning all of that. Yes. Yes. Finding the sort of strengths and the power, I guess, that come with rejecting that and finding a new narrative. Yes. Totally. And what about microaggressions? I think those are sort of the kind of more insidious ways of experiencing racial tensions right because they're kind of like easier to kind of gaslight you about like this same colleague the one that I first experienced white tears through we were teachers with the same experience so we literally had gone through our NQT year at the same time so NQT is newly qualified teacher year but we were working together it was a two form entry school we were teaching both year groups she would often say well you know let's just say that I'm the lead just for this situation you know I'll lead on this and you won't but it was very much sort of keeping me in my place sort of thing and not working collaboratively I was her minion I guess and I would do more practical things I set up rooms or do risk assessments and she would do the things that were more visible for things like promotions and I think in the way that I didn't want to sort of upset the apple cart I kind of let the things happen when she'd make comments about lunches that I bought in smelling funny even being asked things like I have dreadlocks you know having locks for her was a statement that I was a Rustafarian came up with some quite offensive questions about my cultural experiences so yeah I suppose it caused a lot of mental struggles about what I should be battling and whether I should say something or is it going to then make me look bad so you end up sort of just not saying saying things but then still having that struggle internally this is for me anyway I speak for myself where I'm annoyed with myself for not pulling her up on things questioning what battle I should fight so it leads to a lot of mental internal struggles that just get in the way of you doing your job I I, I think in terms of academia in general you've kind of already touched on this but is there a lot of whiteness in academia 
Yeah, there, there really is. I think, again, this is something that I've struggled with because my research does require me to explore my race amongst other things i am looking at sort of intersectionality theory so you know i'm thinking about things like my class my disabilities but my race is a big part of it and so i was given to supervisors who were both white male so i feel like initially my supervision sessions were me arguing points about race that i felt again took away from me focusing on developing my research it became me arguing for my own lived experiences it's tiring and it sort of takes your energy away from the work that you actually want to do it also is kind of frustrating because I want to be in networks where I'm not having to explain how I'm not too attached to my race in order to be objective. These sorts of things come up in academia because the white experience is kind of seen as the default neutral one, whereas anything outside of that is kind of seen as maybe too subjective or too personal. So yeah, there is a lot of whiteness in academia. I've always wanted to be a black professor and there is uh, I can't even remember the statistics now but I think there are 34 black female professors in the UK out of thousands (laughs) so you know the fact that you haven't got that to look up to is quite depressing yeah it's funny that question is there a lot of whiteness in academia like academia kind of is whiteness you know it's whiteness it's class it's all of the systems of oppression yes kind of tied up within academia which is a way of like codifying telling us what things are important what things aren't important and all of those things exactly and I should say to, to listeners, I realise it might sound like I'm asking very kind of intrusive questions, but these are questions that we've kind of agreed on in advance. And in fact, Mel really wrote these questions. How does race affect your work? And I guess we're talking now about higher education work. I feel like it's an unavoidable part of my work. Not necessarily something that I would want to avoid, but I feel drawn to speak from my racialized experience because of the, I mean, kind of just what you just said about academia and higher education, that we are in higher education mirroring back society's worst inequalities and racial inequality within education is something that I would hope no one could deny exists within things like degree awarding gaps, student retention, student experience, race comes within all of that. I feel like a need to make myself responsible for researching, exploring it, but also transforming that, actually not being complicit to the fact that higher education is mirroring those inequalities. So I've been involving myself in quite a lot of scholarship and obviously I feel that my research will speak to the black experience for higher education practitioners as well and in what ways have you approached navigating or mitigating or combating these dynamics that you've been talking about today 
I actually have only recently, I would say, this year, found my people, groups outside of my institution, as well as within my institution, where I can be vocal about these issues, where I can be authentic and feel like I'm still in a safe space. I've joined the Black um, Minority Ethnic Staff Network at the Open University, but also outside of the Open University, I've joined a group called Ebony Initiative run by leading roots they have regular writing groups um seminars and just being within groups where you know they'll have similar experiences and also be researching similar things so you know won't have that whole is this objective is this not conversations has been really fruitful for me really validating i guess i've also been educating myself through the reading that i've been doing i should say that my research stemmed from reading teaching to transgress by bell hooks um which i feel like uh, you know her writing is always so transformative but even finding theories that actually speak to my research ontological beliefs so sandra harding's standpoint theory has enabled me to argue against this objectivity neutrality situation that i got into with my supervisors so it actually legitimizes my way of believing that my lived experiences can be used in research so yeah just finding my people being vocal being authentic and educating myself has been the ways I've been navigating those dynamics on race reflections at work we're always thinking about practical steps and ways that listeners can get some tips and ideas on how to combat white supremacy in the workplace and I think pretty much everything we've talked about including your personal history contains things that people can learn from and, and, and powerful ideas about ways to combat the kind of systems that are around us. Do you have any advice for black people who want to work in higher education? Yes, please come. That's the first thing I would say. We need more black people within higher education. So please, if you are considering it, apply for that job, apply for that role. But when you're in it, I definitely have learned that self-care, not the marketized version of, you know, candles and the bath, although those are great, but it's, it's things like knowing when to say no. So knowing when people are asking you to do something, as you will get asked as a, a, a black person, you're very likely to be asked to be involved in some sort of sometimes tokenistic work, which might be, you know, to join an equality and diversity and inclusion team or to speak about the black experience about this and those things are great if you want to do them you shouldn't feel that you have to do that and so you should know when to say no and knowing when to withdraw yourself from a situation so you don't need to be there when people that are being or saying racist things or making you feel uncomfortable or, or showing microaggressions knowing when to take yourself away from a situation is really important and that's the same with it's very difficult to maybe speak out on those occasions but you also don't want to be complicit in racism but you should only speak out when you feel safe too and if you want to find ways to speak out that maybe don't expose yourself or make you feel vulnerable then you can do that through anonymous or maybe less direct means like sending an email afterwards complaining in writing that sort of thing and yeah do the work you feel passionate about and not work that you feel is steeped in tokenism 
or that you're being asked to do just because you belong to a community. Just be authentic. Don't feel that you are speaking for the entire black community. Don't get lost in essentialism. We're not a monolith. Your experience is your experience. So yeah, just be you, but be there. I'd love it if more black people joined higher education. I think we need more. Thank you so much for talking with us today. I look forward to future podcasts with you to to hear extra stuff that you have to tell us about your experiences and your learning your knowledge i guess to to kind of round it off i guess we should say something about you you know you've joined race reflections what is your role within race reflections and 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 welcome to the team i don't think i've been here a month yet but i'm already loving being part of this team it's just a wonderful group of people but yeah my role is from the sort of academic point of view and it's really to try and bring on higher education institutions and even psychotherapy institutions into the world of race reflections. At the minute, we're really thinking about the student experience as well. So providing training, providing safe spaces, as I keep on talking about, for students, for racialized students to feel that they can be coached, be peer mentored by people who understand their experiences. So it's a mix of working with staff, it's a mix of working with students, but all within sort of higher education and training to bring them into the whole race reflections world. Hopefully we're a part of finding your people. Yes. <laughs> and we're clearly a part of your praxis and your way of like trying to change higher education. So it's great to be able to be a part of that in a small way by asking you questions, which you've given me to ask you. Um, So thanks so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have enjoyed the show and you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Dave from Race Reflections. Goodbye and take care.